0: Chan
1: Chronicles, Venerable Master Xuen life and legacy kept alive through stories told by his senior disciples. In this episode, we continue our exploration of Master Hua's six guidelines. Reverend Hung Shur walks us through the guideline of no seeking, which has a lot to do with recognizing the value of stability.
0: What if I say, I'm actually in it with my spouse for the long run. I'm here to develop something solid. Uh, This is my best friend. This is somebody who knows me better than I know myself. And I don't always get sweet words, but I get true words because she or he has seen me at my, my weakest, my worst, my darkest, and they're still there. I am so grateful for this good friend who is there working out relationships with me. Um, there's so much of value in commitment and stability and stable, a solid, you know, foundation of a, of a family, of a community, of a planet.
1: I'm your host, Fabrizio Alberico. Please visit our website, dharmaradio.org, for more information about these podcasts and the people and organizations that make them possible. After my interview with Reverend Hong Shur, stay tuned for the story of the nun Subasa and the Playboy from the 2009 CD, Buddhist Stories of Awakening, featuring the storytelling of Reverend Hong Shur and musical accompaniment by Henry Kaiser. We're coming to you today from the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery. I'm here with Reverend Hung Shur in the third part of our podcast series on the six guidelines that Master Hua encouraged. Um, Today we're going to be talking about the guideline of no-seeking. And these guidelines are not only theoretical guidelines, they're very practical, aren't they? They they allow someone to develop an opinion or to have a solid ground upon which one can form an opinion about some difficult topics sometimes. So how did Master Hua frame this idea of no seeking?
0: No seeking is number three in this list of six, and he said these are the most important teachings he's encountered in his lifetime of cultivation, and that's how he presented them. And we disciples were uh, initially kind of uh, bemused at how often he would say, These are important. Pay attention to these. But over the years now, I I see what he meant uh, more and more and more. This third guideline of no seeking uh, relates to the third of the five precepts, as all of the six guidelines do, one to one. Originally, it was five guidelines, but the sixth was added later, and we can talk about that at at some point. But the, the first guideline... The first perspective on a thought, no fighting, no contention, relates to the first precept, no killing. The second guideline that we talked about last time, no greed, uh, relates to the second precept, no stealing. The third guideline, no seeking, relates to the third of the Buddhist five precepts called no sexual misconduct. Sexual misconduct is uh, interpreted by by culture culturally specific so what may have been true about no sexual misconduct in china of the tang dynasty is needs to be updated to north america in the 21st century and to the modern world in the 21st century so here's how we're doing it now we say um if you are a buddhist precept holder if you've taken that uh ceremony, going through the ceremony called the transmission of the five precepts, what that means is you say, to the end of my life, I will honor my vows. If I'm married, I'm going to be true to my vows. I'm going to to keep my promises to my spouse. And if I'm not married, I'm not going to be promiscuous. I'm not going to hurt other people with uh, selfish sexual conduct. So uh, just the same way that I would like to not be cheated on, I'm not going to cheat on others. So culturally specific, uh, this is a time when people can be in a committed one-to-one relationship, and that's where this guideline would come in. That's where the precept would come in. So the guideline, the six guidelines, were given to us as thoughts on the mind ground. That's the language we use, meaning a Buddhist practitioner or spiritual practitioner will be sensitive to the arising of thoughts, seeing them as sprouts in the garden. Let it go. If it's a weed, you've got a garden full of weeds. If it's a flower, you have a garden of fragrant flowers. So you carefully tend the thoughts on the mind ground. So what is the thought that what is no, no seeking means? It means, should you be married happily, should you be in a committed long-term relationship, and this thought of infidelity arises, you'll catch it and go, I'm not going to go seek an outside of my promises to my mate, to my partner, to my spouse, because that will lead to destruction. I'll be breaking up relationships, breaking up families, breaking up my mindfulness. So these ideas are given uh, for meditators. So if you're there meditating and you've been uh, playing around outside of your committed relationship or your marriage, your meditation is going to be a mess. You're going to have these, you know. How could she have done that? I, I thought I trusted her, him, and, you know, it was all based on lies. And I just, I, you know, your mind will be uh, anything other than still and clear. So that's how that no seeking is given. It's given for the context of spirit of sexual con proper, you know, pr- proper sexual conduct and sexual misconduct. So that's, uh, these guidelines are practical, they're for use, we need them in our daily life, in our families, in our our community. So you mentioned in your question, Fab, about uh, how do these translate into uh, clarity on issues, and what I like about these six guidelines is if you say, yeah, I um, am tuned in to thoughts of seeking another way to say it would be discontent thoughts of discontent maybe you know been married for a bunch of years now and the the dew is off the rose and we don't talk that much anymore and we change the separate beds and and so you become strangers under the same roof so that's where this starts to make sense watch the mind and say hmm um what would i get out of a new relationship and content is not contentment is not the first or second or third or fourth word that would come up necessarily if we can at that point of the thoughts arising seeking thoughts arising if we can flip it around the chinese have this beautiful saying that goes if you can be content you're always happy. If you can be patient, you're always at peace. right? So contentment and patience are pointed out as cultivators' virtues. These are power words. How do we be content? We say, hmm, what if that individual across the breakfast table from me is actually a bodhisattva who's come to teach me about my mind? You know? What if I say, I'm actually in it with my spouse for the long run? I'm here to develop something solid. Uh, this is my best friend. This is somebody who knows me better than I know myself. And I don't always get sweet words, but I get true words because she or he has seen me at my, my weakest, my worst, my darkest, and they're still there. I am so grateful for this good friend who is there working out relationships with me. Um, there's so much of value in commitment and stability and stable, a solid you know, foundation of a, of a family, of a community, of a planet, on um, humanity. So with those kind of thoughts, flipping it over, you mature. We become grown-ups. You know? So this, the opposite of no seeking is contentment. The opposite of seeking is contentment. You flip it in a positive statement, no seeking. You say, no, I'm content. Not only am I content, I'm happy. Contentment, mm-hmm. if you can be content, you'll always be happy. And who's to say that that sweet young thing that caught your eye or that handsome hunk who caught your eye is a selfish person who's going to make your life miserable? You know, so you don't know. Why throw one away to start another one? You know. So anyway, that's how the the uh, the the that's the the barest app, the the fundamental application of these guidelines. When you say, "Gee, um, I've i made that commitment to myself and to my partner and to my family," you know, I've had all these issues of of uh, come to my awareness of uh, sexual abuse hashtag me too, you know, rising the Harvey Weinstein era of, of, uh, sexual predation and predators. And knowing that from my meditation, as I watched my mind turn, I had thoughts of seeking arise. And I said, no, I said, I'm content. Suddenly I've got a stance. I have a, a point of view. I have a reference point in my own life that I actually practice vis-a-vis that whole raft of issues like rape. For example, that's not something I'm going to be taking part in. In fact, I think that's wrong. I think rape and uh, sexual predators are people who need serious mental help because that is not sustainable in our human context. Uh, you don't see animals raping each other. You know, the, I, I live in Australia part of the year, and the birds that live around my cabin in the bush commit to a lifelong of fidelity. They're, they're, they they take their partners for life. How, why do humans have this insatiable uh, rage and this, this destructive behavior? Uh, and to say, if we could all be better mind-ground gardeners, and when these thoughts of desire arise, if we can learn that that's the harm, take responsibility for those thoughts, we would have a, a culture that, young women and young men could grow up in as, to be healthy without a thought of your your prey you're something to be consumed you know by somebody else's greed <laughs>
1: Tonight, I think it makes things much more clear-cut, doesn't it, in terms of providing a cultural context for things back in the 60s and 70s. Maybe it was socially acceptable to be treating women a certain way if you were in a position of power. Um, and today, not so much. But according to the six guidelines, there is never any gray area. It's just wrong. If, you, if you're starting with the mine ground, it doesn't matter what the cultural context is like.
0: I think so. I think it's, if you say, for example, what is the proper role of a brother? What's the proper role of a father, a father of daughters? If I had a daughter and I realized that this young man walking by saw my daughter as uh, a hot chick to be banged, Mm -hmm. I would would, uh, have issues, you know, right away. I want to protect this young woman for somebody else's Uh, insensitivity to their own thoughts. So there's a, you know, uh, here's another one that I I deal with all the time, which is, as a Buddhist monastic, I'm celibate. I'm a celibate monastic. And uh, there's, uh, in terms of preferences, you know, you are you hetero, are you homo, are you other? Well, celibate monastics are other, other. We're another whole definition. And so the idea that, uh, somehow, uh, people can be sexually inactive, and still be healthy and normal, and not weird. And it doesn't, you know, if you're some of the the problems that other religious communities have had with trying to to uh, hang on to celibacy, um, has kind of brought the stereotype that if you're celibate, you must be a pedophile. Somehow, um, that's a misunderstanding of the longest running fraternity on the planet, which is the Buddhist monastic sangha. Hmm. The community of men and women, celibate men and women in the Buddhist world, have been around for 2,500 years, and we're going strong. There's a reason for that. And it's what you do with that energy, that energy which could, on one hand, go out and create a family, which should happen if the world is going to sustain itself, uh, with humans in it, Um, but that that's a choice you can make if you take that same energy and you apply samadhi, the practices of meditation to that energy, the result can be wisdom. So that's another whole way to look at it. Um, so in the but it doesn't happen overnight. I've been sustaining this practice for forty plus years now, and some of the disciplines that we use are: you say, you look at every woman as your mother if she's older than you are, and every younger woman as your sister. Uh, You could even say your daughter, I suppose, but it's usually the elder women are your mom. And do you have thoughts of mom as a victim of my sexual desire? That's not going to happen. What about that young woman? Well, I'm related to her. I care and I want to protect her from harm, emotional or physical or spiritual. So of course, right away I'm not looking at her as a as a a potential uh you know, as a hot chick who I can score on, you know. She's not. She's a fellow human being. There's a Buddha nature inside that female body. Uh and I want to protect her and keep her on the path of, of joy, self-discovery without her having to deal with me as a sexual attacker. So that's a uh those guidelines really do help if you think, what is a young boy's proper role in the, in the community? If there's only me alone on the planet, there's no issue, right? But as soon as you have other gendered people on the planet, suddenly we've got an issue. Why do white uh, young men, black young men in North America, think that every woman is a hoe, And every every guy is a fool for me to get over on. That's a failure of the male species to provide a proper role and a path to adulthood for young men. That's where we should be looking.
1: starting to see that these six guidelines are all very inextricably linked you know you can see linkages between the idea of no greed and no fighting no contention with this idea of no seeking and and in future episodes we'll be talking about no no selfishness and no self-benefit no lying these are all part of the same kind of mind ground attitude same weed essentially the roots of those weeds are the, the same
0: Totally connected. And thanks for pointing that out. For example, if I look at a young woman and I say, oh, you know, I want to violently assert myself over your life and steal from you your integrity and your your purity, that's greed. Mm -hmm. And it's not my proper share. Who says that's right for me to do that? And you have to ask, is that right? If it's not right, don't do it. Or you're free to do it, but there will be consequences. And you know, if you just flip it over and put yourself in the shoes of the young woman or the young man, the young women who are, who are whose lives are violently, you know, uh, interrupted by my desire, that's seeking and contention of the worst kind. It's fighting, you know. And if from we're largely vegetarian, vegan people in my Buddhist community so you think what about the poor animal whose DNA is 99% the same as ours their makeup is the same they're currently there's a being in that animal's body and I look at that body as pork chops or you know bacon or ham it's not it's a pig and the pig has every right to live without my seeing it as food so we we, used, we would apply those same standards to what we eat for dinner. You know. That's another story. But uh, I think when you the, what the Buddhist practice allows you to do is to say, okay, I have made a decision about my life. Um, what is right? What is proper? What are the, the definition of my role in my human body? And I try to live in a way that is harmless, that is generous, and that is content. How does that, then when I enter society with those as my guidelines, hmm. That's a, closer to the way I want to live my human life. So these guidelines are immediately valuable. And they're related, like you said.
1: And now, the nun Subasa and the Playboy from the 2009 CD, Buddhist Stories of Awakening.
0: What happened when the nun Subasa met the Playboy? Jivaka's pleasant wood walked Subhasa, the bhikshuni. A playboy met her there and barred the way. Subhasa said, What have I done to offend you that you stand obstructing me? For it's not fitting, sir, that a man should touch a nun in the Buddha's Sangha. My master, ordained us in the precepts, and we honor and follow those precepts. The welcome one taught us in the training. We are trained to be purified and disciplined and holy, so why do you stand blocking my path? I'm pure. You, sir, are impure of heart. I'm free of passion, and you are possessed of vile passions. I'm wholly freed in spirit. I'm free of blame. Why do you obnoxiously stand there and obstruct me, sir? Oh, you're young, man. You're, you're faultless. What do you seek in the holy life? Just cast off that yellow robe and come with me. Blossoming woodland, let us seek our pleasure. Filled with the incense of blossoms, the trees are sweet, the spring is at its prime, and this is the season of happiness. So come with me now to the flowering woodland and let us seek our pleasure. Dearer and sweeter to me are you than Any creature on the earth, you are languid, and you have the slow-moving eyes of an elf in the forest, and if you will do my bidding and come where the joys of the sheltered life await you, you will dwell in a house of verandas and terraces, handmaidens will serve you, you'll robe yourself with delicate garments and don garlands of flowers and use Perfumed balms. I'll give you many and varied ornaments fashioned with precious stones and gold work and pearls. You'll mount on a couch fair and sumptuous, carved in sandalwood, fragrant with essence, and spread with pillows and coverlets, fleecy. You about this carcass Of my body It's filled with carrion It's heading For the grave It's fragile and easily spoiled Just What about my body seems To warrant such words From you, sir Oh, but eyes You have like a gazelle's Just like an elf in the heart of the mountain. It's those eyes of yours, the sight of which feeds the depths of my passion. Shrined in your dazzling, immaculate face, as in the calyx of a lotus flower. Oh, it's those eyes of yours, the sight of which feeds the strength of my passion. Though you be far from me, how could I ever forget you, maiden? You of the long-drawn eyelashes, you of eyes so miraculous. Though you be far from me, how could I ever forget you, dear maiden? Chase a sham, you're deluded by puppet shows seen in the midst of the crowd. You deem a value and genuine what is conjurer's tricks. Now you tell me, what is this eye? But a little ball lodged in the fork of a hollow tree. It's a bubble of film anointed with. Tears and brine and exuding drops of slime It's compost Wrought in the shape of an eye With many aspects Forthwith the maiden so lovely Tore out her eye and gave it to him Here then, take your eye heart was unattached, she did not sin. And straight away the lust in him ceased, and he begged her pardon. O oh, pure and holy maid, would that you might recover your sight Never again will I do such a thing. You have sore struck my sin. Blazing flames have I clasped to my heart. A poisonous snake I've handled. But oh, be healed and forgive me. And freed from molesting, the bhikshuni went on her way to the Buddha chief of those awakened, and there in his presence, seeing his features born of utmost merit, her eye was restored.
1: concludes this episode of chan chronicles many thanks go out to the berkeley buddhist monastery and reverend hung Shur for their hospitality our website once again Dharmaradio.org has much more for you to click through and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you'll be sure to receive new episodes of chan chronicles as soon as they're available amitofo